I'm Abby Kinney, and you are listening to Upsound. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Upzone, a show where we take a big story from the news each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation, and we Upzone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner for Kansas City, or in Kansas City, rather. <laughs> and I'm joined today by Rachel Quedno, program director for Strong Towns. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Hello, I'm well. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really glad that you could make it. I feel like it's been a little while since I've talked to you, so I hope you've been doing doing well. I'm excited to like formally meet you at CNU in a couple of weeks. I don't think we've ever met in person. That's so weird, but yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, so that'll be pretty cool. I I sometimes forget because we've been doing this virtually for so long. I I forget who I've met in person versus who I haven't. So. So yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of people I'll actually get to meet in person, which is really exciting. It'll be fun. And I get to get out of town and you get to get out of town <laughs> and travel somewhere. So that'll be fun. Can't wait. So this article today, we actually went through a lot of different articles to find the one that like had, we thought was the best. And so you thought this one was kind of the most comprehensive on this issue. I feel like so many, so many different articles came out um, on the issue of homelessness in Houston and Los Angeles. So this one was published in the LA Times by Marshall Ingerson, and it's entitled, What Can Houston Teach Los Angeles About Solving Homelessness? So as many people know, homelessness has grown at an alarming rate in recent years, and pursuing solutions is really becoming um, a challenge for cities across the country. There doesn't seem to be really a one-size-fits-all approach to the issue, um, and a lot of a lot of it is left to local municipalities or nonprofit organizations, um, even activist groups and charitable organizations. So this means that the approach really varies from city to city, and so does the rate of success and actual outcomes. There were, you know, as I said, there were a lot of articles published on this issue over the past couple of weeks, um, specifically looking at Los Angeles and how, uh, according to an audit, it's the city spends as much as $837,000 per unit for housing homeless people which is raising a lot of criticism about their approach. What's more, homelessness has actually decreased in other parts of the LA Metro, um, like Pasadena and Glendale. So that's really you know, making people wonder what is not working to that approach. Um, and it's a very you know, complex kind of issue, but according to the article, the approach taken by another sprawling Sunbelt city called Houston um, holds a lot of lessons for Los Angeles. That's Houston, Texas has been relatively effective despite having a lot of challenges. It has a huge lack of affordable housing for low-income families, uh, stagnant uh, wage growth, as well as a really high eviction rate. 
So the chief lesson in Houston, according to the article, is that solving homelessness is less about uh, an economic issue, but rather about having strategic clarity and execution. The author attributes Houston's success to skill of effort, excellent organization, and pragmatism. Um, and the attributes uh, and, and attributes Los Angeles failures to lack of leadership, extreme restrictions to building housings, and then housing, and then lack of pragmatism. So this is definitely kind of an issue that is, I think it's, it's strongly present in a lot of people's communities. It's strongly present in my own neighborhood. There seems to be a lack of clear leadership in this space, and and that does seem to be something that is a major issue. And Rachel, you've actually worked in this space and on this issue within shelters and homeless or housing programs. What are your thoughts on kind of the the attributes that this article ties to like success or failure? Yeah, well, in conversations about homelessness, I always want to distinguish from people the two sort of types of homelessness, these are categories that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development has created. I don't think they're like special categories. They're they're just like general ways of looking at homelessness. And those include temporary and chronic homelessness. And temporary is the majority of people that are homeless on any given day in America. And those are people that you know, suddenly lost a job or were evicted or had a relationship breakup or something. And like suddenly they're without a home. And um, for those folks, you know, usually the solution is, you know, maybe they need some some help or counseling or something, but probably what they just need is like a way to get into another home soon. And then there is a smaller portion of people in America who are homeless that would be categorized as chronically homeless. And that means like they have been ongoing or they keep returning to um, losing their housing like over and over again over a period of a year or more. Um, and typically those folks have a mental illness, uh, you know, a serious physical disability, um, things like that. And so the solutions for that group of people, um, you know, those are the folks that you are seeing in like a tent, uh, tent encampment and things like that. The solution for those folks is a little bit different than just like they need a home. Often it's like those folks need um, supportive services of some sort, you know, counseling and medical help, you know, addiction help, whatever it is. So in this conversation about addressing homelessness um, in, in Houston and LA, I think they're more talking about the chronically homeless and sort of the publicly homeless population that you see. And it definitely seems like the supportive services are, an important piece of what Houston is doing well and that maybe LA is not, not doing as well. That was one of the things I noticed for sure. Yeah, it does seem like, so the point that they make about scale of effort and kind of taking all of these different local efforts and not necessarily taking each one and like, like taking a church group and scaling that up, but in a sense, coordinating things in a better way and scaling that up because not all organizations are going to be equipped to handle every aspect of what is needed for people specifically who are chronically homeless, but also for people who are temporarily homeless. I mean, it's not like, you know, every organization can be everything to everybody, but every organization may have their expertise and their way of looking at things that is incredibly valuable 
And so really, I think, you know, not expecting them to do everything, but to really lean into what they can do well. And, and also, you know, maybe it's ge- geographically based as well. To me, that that's really smart is to, to take all basically the social capital that you have in a place and to coordinate and have leadership that can really leverage the resources and the, the volunteers that exist. It seems like it's just a really strategic alignment of many organizations that has allowed the effort to scale up rather than be happening in little silos. There's also kind of this component about permanently affordable housing that I think is interesting, um, saying that that is really a major focus in the Houston model and that temporary shelters are kind of left to churches and nonprofits. But there's also this this permanent uh, housing stock that is dedicated to um, supporting people and transitioning people. And, and that has also helped to kind of scale that effort. They have, you know, Houston has a lot of affordable units with healthcare and social services tied to them as well. So, so that's something that I think is, is probably really helpful and is, is interesting to me as we kind of think about housing more comprehensively, because there does seem to be this ongoing tension in the the overarching housing discussion about, you know, just build supply and it will solve all of our issues versus anti-building supply and only building affordable. It seems like there's these two kind of like extreme views where I don't mean to always speak in memes, but it's like, why not both? (laughs) And having permanently affordable housing seems like it does need to be one piece of the puzzle of having like a comprehensive housing portfolio at a regional scale. And that enables Houston to have a housing first approach where people can, you know, get into housing when they need it. Yeah, it definitely seemed like the the thing that this op-ed was really praising was the coordination across all these different agencies in Houston uh, and comparing that to lack of coordination in Los Angeles and like distinguishing what sort of services does each person need. Yeah, as you mentioned, there's some different approaches to addressing homelessness that have been kind of in the public use and discourse for a while. And one of them is housing first, which is like, okay, if someone is homeless, like get, we need to just get them into housing. That is like the main thing. And they probably don't need a bunch of extra services. And then there's also sort of an older model, but definitely still in use and definitely still needed for some people, which is like permanent supportive housing, which as you were explaining has, you know, services and, you know, maybe even like social workers and things like in on site in a building with folks. So yeah, definitely important to distinguish between what do people need and then just helping them get that. You know, maybe this is counter to like some folks at Strong Towns, um, some folks in our in our membership, in our readership. But I do definitely believe there is a place for like subsidies and and public money going to people that are homeless. Like the market cannot solve every single situation of people needing housing. So I definitely think that extreme end of like, we only need to build more housing and then that will solve everything is is not true. Some folks just need, you know, everything from just help 
with a security deposit and like first month's rent. And then like they can get back on their feet to like people who have, you know, really severe needs. And then they really need that like constant, you know, support. And they're not going to be able to, to have a job that's going to pay for a rental unit. So like for those folks, there is a need for, for government or nonprofits to step in and help them. I agree with you. As somebody who lives in an area where there are a lot of homeless people and and most of them, you know, are perfectly nice people and mind their own business and and it's it's not really, you know, I don't see it as like a a you know, it's an issue that they should have a home, but it's not like, you know, a threat or anything like that. But there are people who actually are in crisis and they need help. It seems like this idea of having like a transitional approach that could actually get people the help that they need. If somebody is um, having like a mental health crisis and they, you know, they, they really can't make their own decisions, you know, they, they need support and eventually they could transition into, you know, maybe eventually a, a market-based solution. But I agree with you that when we're thinking of like, the like a complete comprehensive approach to housing i think that there there is a a place for building supply and a market-based approach for a lot of people but there's also a need for people who they need help and they need support and so you know that that's kind of how i see it too and i think you know the devil's in the details with everything and for me i'm interested in what creates the best outcomes for people so that people can can be on their feet and stabilized and participate in the world and actually make a better life for themselves. That's what I'm interested in. And if that means having um, a safety net of some sort and and support for people, that's great. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do see kind of, you know, the third point of that the article brings up, there is this piece that is critical to Houston's model, which is pragmatism. You know, that's something that I agree is incredibly important and for them their strategic focus is making homelessness, they say rare, brief and non-recurring. Whereas this LA strategy, according to the article, has been more focused on kind of easing discomforts for people who are living on the street, but not necessarily uh, working directly with them and transitioning them into homes and having the having the resources and homes available, um, for, you know, and making that consistent. Um, like for for example, the article brings up that when in Houston the encampments are decommissioned by the city, the city of Houston or their program actually has this approach that helps people get permanent housing right then as they're you know cleaning a camp basically, and they say that eighty five to ninety percent of people take up that offer which I think, you know, at, at least from my understanding where I am at, it seems that they just clear them out and I don't know where the people go. I don't know if they if they have a place to go. And so that's not necessarily a better approach. So just finding kind of balanced approaches and pragmat keeping pragmatism in the conversation, even though it's a very, I'm sure for people who work in this world, it's probably really emotionally challenging 
Um, and, and that can make it hard to like stay focused or, you know, take an approach that, that may be more pragmatic per se, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, it seems like that is like a core tension. And a lot of these conversations is, you know, wanting to, you know, not, not taking an approach that I guess, I guess, I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it's such a contentious issue and no one can agree on what the right thing to do is, but coordination amongst different, different approaches and bringing people all together and building consensus about the approach maybe is the first step for cities that don't have that leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely that conversation about like, how much do you help people who are, you know, living on the street to like be okay in their current situation versus move them to a a situation where they can be more permanently housed. Like that's really tough. It's really tough to figure out and different cities have had different approaches. Um, But yeah, certainly if you're going to be like taking down the encampments, then uh, Houston's approach of figuring out a way to get every single person who's at that encampment into a home is, I mean, that's huge. And yeah, the fact that they said between 85 and 90% of those people are, are taking them up on that. That's suggests that there is like a need and a desire. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because there is a portion of people who may not take up that offer. And I mean, there are some people who do like to be outside or they, they want to be outside for whatever reason. And I remember I was talking with, with Monty Anderson, um, who's a developer in Texas, a small scale developer in Texas, who is building housing that is for people who, you know, are, are homeless and he's able to get them access to, to vouchers so that they can have this, this mailbox essentially. But the way that they've designed the housing is so that the front patio area is essentially like covered with walls because a lot of people don't want to sleep inside. They, they want to sleep outside. So that allows them to sleep outside while also still having a mailbox, which is not something that I realized was a thing, but, but it is, it is a reality for a certain portion of people. Um, So just thinking about kind of the design of, of that, that housing, I think is also something that the article doesn't really go into, but is, is something to think about and, you know, even to engage with people on to understand really what, what the right approach to that housing would be. And also making sure it's not just a concentrated situation. You know, I think we've learned through many years of building public housing that, you know, concentrating it all in one place is not very healthy for these communities. And, you know, you want to have communities with mix of housing types, mix of income, mix of people. That is really, you know, a much more healthy way of building communities and neighborhoods rather than kind of like segregating people by class, essentially. Um, So I think that's another kind of strategic thing to be thinking about with regard to like how you build permanently affordable housing. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. As the article, one of the last sentences of the article was, uh, meanwhile, real progress in affordable housing will probably take place in tens of thousands of backyards and former garages as restrictions fall away for accessory dwelling units and single family zoning ends. 
And yeah, for for so many people who are experiencing homelessness because of affordability and it's a temporary homeless situation, changes to zoning that will allow just for the creation of more housing period and, you know, smaller scale housing that people can actually afford that is going to supercharge this and hopefully, you know, get a lot more people able to access housing. Yeah, no, I really I really am. um I feel positive about that because it seems like that is really beginning. There seems to be a paradigm shift um, with regard to, you know, housing and accessory dwelling units, missing middle housing, just having existing buildings be flexible to, you know, enabling people to, to live in them, I think is something that there's opportunity for a lot of creativity amongst people who are kind of retrofitting existing buildings. Um, and it could really provide uh, housing that that is needed by at a variety of different price points um, in a way that doesn't necessarily require like a big development project or the, you know a big plan like it, things can happen um, happen just by like absorbing uh, the ability to provide more housing units within existing building stock. So that's something that I do feel really positive about. It is interesting, you know, just given this, you know, we frame this whole thing as a housing crisis, right? Everybody talks about it as a crisis. And we're seeing that homelessness is becoming, uh, you know, an increasing issue in cities across the country Yet zoning, uh, it, it takes so long for it to really reform. And there seems to be such a, despite like having a crisis and despite all of these challenges, that is something that can be really, it, it continues to be a challenge, right? I mean, it's, it's, that is kind of unfortunate to me that, that it is something that people, I think, broadly have not really built like a broad awareness around and that there's a lot of like fear mongering about like, you know, these, they're going to like ruin our single family housing or they're trying to end, you know, I feel like there's just a lot of like narratives out there that have become like hyper politicized when they really don't need to be. And it's, I mean, in the end, like expanding housing types, makes things, it gives us more options, everybody more options. Um, and then eventually it gives you and me and every, it gives everybody more options when we get older too. Um, so it's just one of those things that I think, um, culturally is going to take a little bit of time for people to see that and see the benefits and maybe people will just believe it when they see it. And it takes like doing, you know, shifting things little by little, and we are starting to see that shift, you know, more and more cities and states are slowly, you know, joining the upzoning wave. But yeah, it's taking a long time. And then like, it's one thing to have the zoning change. It's another thing to actually have like new units of housing be built, which we know takes a long time, even for a small ADU. So yeah, exactly. So it's like, what can we do now to prepare for that? Because that is the thing, just simply changing zoning codes. I wish that would solve all the problems, but it takes people to do the work. You need trade people. You need banks who understand this stuff and can actually bank these people. Um, You need the developers. You need people who can do the work. 
And that means they need to have skills and know-how and, you know, accountants. <laughs> so, and, and lawyers. It's So it, it takes an ecosystem that uh, really needs to be supported in order to make that, make that happen. So, yes, we're playing the long game here. Playing the long game. Yes, absolutely. Well, I look forward to kind of learning more about Houston's approach. I feel like I took a crash course into this this week. And so um, I'm sure that there are, are details that we're not aware of. I feel like, you know, in my own community, there's so many little details and, you know, certain people know where kind of all the points of contention and the specific things that have, you know, led to different approaches. So I'd love to learn more about this. And it seems like there is a lot that a lot of cities beyond just LA can learn from Houston. And even, you know, this idea of taking a regional approach seems to be a really good opportunity because Houston seems to have this approach that doesn't just put all the pressure on one municipality to to solve the problem, but rather it, you know, it, it helps to support like many different localized organizations doing on the ground work, which seems to be the right approach. And hopefully the funding is coming from the regional level as well. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. I think it's, it's really, really an interesting conversation. And before we finish today, it is time for the down zone, which is the part of the show that we can share anything that we've been reading or watching, listening to, um, anything that's been on our mind these days. So, uh, what do Rachel, you have, Gabby? What do I have? So I've actually yeah. been, so I've been reading this book that is actually a really good compliment to Chuck's recent book, Confessions of a Recovering Engineer. Um, it's called Street Fight, Handbook for an Urban Revolution by Jeanette Sidikon and Seth Solomon now. And uh, it basically focuses on this the paradigm shift that occurred in New York City under Mayor Bloomberg, where the city began really seeing their streets as like multimodal public spaces rather than being these like rough car sewers. And one of the authors, Sadiq Khan, was the transportation commissioner at the time and really kind of led that shift and offered these new approaches to improving how their streets function. A lot of times like just just implementing better design by adding paint to the ground which is something that we see a lot in Kansas City now. And I think is is really, I mean, if we're going to talk about pragmatic approaches, I think that is a very pragmatic approach to trying things out and, and making streets function better. And without spending a ton of money, you can really make a huge difference just by putting paint up and bollards. Um, so, so that's pretty cool. It's been a really good compliment to Chuck's book, like I said. So if anybody who's listening to this has read Chuck's book and and really liked it and is interested in transportation, highly recommend looking up Street Fight. Yeah, I need to read that. I know it's been out for a couple of years, but I have not gotten around to it yet. Yeah, it's a good one. I highly recommend. Well, since you shared a very Strong Towns relevant down zone, then can I share a very not relevant to anything that of we course. talk about at Strong Towns? Yeah, of course. I've been watching the show, or I just finished the show, Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, which has Steve Martin, Selena Gomez. It's a very funny, they're like, they live in this apartment building in New York, and there's a murder, or it's it's a suicide, but they conclude it was a murder. And then they decide to, like, 
you know, as novices try to solve the murder and also create a podcast about their, <laughs> like a, like a true crime podcast while they're solving it. It's very funny. Um, and fun, especially if you, if you enjoy like stuff about New York city, it has a lot of fun New York city moments. So that's awesome. That was a good one. It's on Hulu. Recommend yeah. I'll, that, I guess I'll have to go into my Hulu account. I don't know if this happens to you, but whenever Hulu updates on my TV, it logs me out and I don't have that password and it is a challenge to get <laughs> back in. Yeah. And I got a new debit card and so it may just stop. Oh my gosh. I've been considering new just debit not. Cards. I know. So if anyone works for Hulu, know that, you know, that's a huge challenge and I may not update my account because of it. I'm actually, it's, it's, it's affordable enough that I keep, I keep it, but I don't like the commercials. There's like so many <laughs> streaming services now. It's yeah, they, they definitely add up. It's overwhelming. And I think it's more expensive or it can be more expensive than, than having cable, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, I've never had my own cable, so I don't know how much that was, but I always had Netflix because it just is easier than, than figuring out cable, but now there's all these streaming services. And so it's kind of overwhelming and there's all these new shows that people, I feel like I have to keep a list of shows Mm -hmm. to watch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have to kind of keep a list for yourself and try to figure out where to find them. (laughs) Well, I'm pumped to see you at CNU. Also planting this bug. We haven't organize this officially yet but we will soon we're hoping to get together a strong towns member meetup during cnu in oklahoma city um that is the week of like what is it the 22nd something like that of march yeah 22nd through 25th ish so if you're in the area keep that open on your calendar and we'll email you about it and also listen to the bottom up revolution podcast which is the one i host if you want more podcasting from Strong Counts. <laughs> yes. Listen to the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It is awesome. And you feature some amazing people. So thank yeah. you. Well, you have suggested several amazing guests for that show. So I give a lot of credit to you. I am so glad that you've interviewed them. I, Whenever there's someone who's I think is really doing interesting work in Kansas City, I want everyone in the world to know. So I send them to you. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good stuff coming out of Kansas City, including yeah. you. So pretty, pretty great town. Okay, so I will see you in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. We get to meet officially and it'll be my first time in Oklahoma City. So yeah, me too. Oh, really? Thanks for okay. having me on the show, Abby. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks for everybody for listening to another episode of UpZoned. Keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks, Rachel. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Let me show you what I'm about to do.